good to be back with you. I joked with them last night. I said, anytime you're invited back twice, you know, you're going, well, it must not have gone too bad the first time at least. And uh, I said that one time, joking around, and a guy winked at me. And he said, well, we consider it more of a mulligan, more of a do-over. So, so I am back for one way or the other. I'm not sure which way this is. So, um, What we're going to do today is probably one of the most, in fact, it probably is the most significant thing I know about the human heart and love. Why does the human heart love who it loves? Why does it love? How does it love? How do, you, how do you do this? It matters because some of you are in situations with your family, with your neighbors, with coworkers, that quite frankly, they're very difficult people for you to love, and the human heart's not going there. You can tell it to, but it's having a little trouble. For some of you, it may well be a stepmom you didn't choose. You didn't make the choice but I'm to love. For some of you, it may be stepchildren. For some of you, it may be a sister. That I love my sister, I think, except I never know what to do with her, and I find myself so angry and so hurt. For some of you, it may be a marriage. It all started well, but wow, we're kind of two strangers in the same house. For some of you, it may well be, and you can fill the blank in, I went and got my hair cut last week. I'm really hurt. Nobody even told me I look nice. Um, but I, I go to one of the cheapest places imaginable, and I go in. There's eight or ten different people, stations, and so I never know who I'm going to get. It doesn't really matter. They're cutting, you know, white hair anyhow. And short, wiry white hair. I felt very bad for the gal who's cutting my hair. Her language, she obviously didn't have any idea who I was, and I, I, she didn't have any reason to. She's just frustrated, and she used any number of colorful words to basically say this, I don't like my own three-year-old son. He's a punk, and I don't want to do with him. And she began to talk about how she doesn't like her ex-husband, and she's trying to give her three-year-old as much as she can during the week to her own mom because she didn't like her own attitude about it, and she was both confessional and she was also a little defiant. I listened a long time. We end up having a bit of a conversation. So here we are today. So how does the human heart work? I promise you, and this sounds terribly arrogant, and I don't mean it this way, I, I, I don't intend to just have a message this morning, I want to change your life. Not because I'm brilliant, because it's not true at all. But there is something to be said. I, I, I want to impact your life this morning. Let's start with a simple basis. It goes like this. Make no mistake about it. Your being a person who can love in any and every circumstance is to be your distinctive. I made a list of, of 20 imperative passages that Jesus gives. 20 imperative passages we could do. Here, here's, here's the one we will use. John chapter 13, verse 34, a new commandment, not new in the sense it never showed up before, but new in the sense of quantity and quality and of impact. A new commandment I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And the one another does not get to narrow it down. The one another is just quite frankly, others. You love I grew up on a ranch and a farm. My dad's still um, ranching. Dad's 92 on a horse most days. Um, my brother runs the operation now. He's got his son, my nephew. 
And we run um, black Angus, but they're, they're actually Brangus. We put a little bit of Brahma in them. We went a little bit of throat with the, with the black. But you'll know our cattle. You'll know every cow. You'll know every bull. You'll know every steer. You'll know every heifer because they have the J Lazy S brand on them. I've, brand, I've been branding since, I don't have the idea. And so I've, I've, J Lazy S, you know it belongs to the Garrus clan. Jesus uses this concept in verse 35. By this will everyone know that you are my disciple if you love one another. I don't care what your ear tag says, but I care very much whether you have this brand. Do you love? It's an imperative command. It's the distinctive. When you begin to go through scriptures, you're going to find that it says it in creative ways. In Romans, in Romans 12 and 13, we'll talk about it a lot, but he will say in Romans, he will say the only debt that I want you to have is the debt to love. I want everything else paid off, but I want you always owing people your love. He, he will say it in very tender ways in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4, I want you completely humble. I want you completely gentle. I want you patience. I want you bearing with one another. I want you to love one another. It's tender in how he says those words. The, the, the command of who to love just doesn't have any boundaries. He's going to say, for example, on a family series, he's going to say in Ephesians 5 and other passages, husbands, love your wives. He's going to say, uh, wives, love your husbands, Titus chapter 2 and, and other passages. He, he's going to go ahead and say, I want you not only to love you and your families, I want you to love your church. I, I'm hurrying on this sermon a little bit, and I'll just slow down here a little. Church unity is fragile. You know that. You'll watch people move from congregation to congregation like birds on a highline wire. Why? Because all of us are odd. We are all people who are stumblers being redeemed by Jesus Christ, and all of us are at different stages of that. And every congregation has a certain amount of just oddness within it. They don't make a congregation that doesn't have us. So how are you going to get along as a congregation? You don't attend a church, you entwine your life in a congregation, and you love one another. And so he will say repeatedly in, in Romans chapter 12, I mean, I mean it, there's just a, nowhere you go that you don't hit this idea. You, you love one another within a church. Is this the church I want to be a part of? The answer is, Randy, are you willing to love? That, that, that's the, the question I'd have to, have to ask. He will say in Mark and other passages, I want you to love your neighbors. And then you're going to go, yeah, but my neighbors don't hold the same values I hold. My neighbors are so different from me. I, I, man, I, we don't see anything alike. He will even go so far as to say, and you know this, Matthew chapter 6, love your enemy. You love your enemy. So the question is how? How? How do you love a husband who's broken your heart? How do you love a 15-year-old son who's turned out so different than you expected? How do you love a sister? Some will say, well, Christian love is just behavior. So all you do is you just grit your teeth, you muscle up, and you say, fine, I can't stand you, but if you're hungry, I'll feed you. If you're thirsty, I'll give you something to drink. If you're naked, I'll clothe you, to, to quote from other passages. So I don't like you, but I'm doing my Christian thing. And like most wrong things, that has a grain of truth to it. But Christian love is not heartless compassion. 
You can do drive-by shootings. You can't do drive-by compassion. We are called to heart transformation so that I actually have a tenderness toward people. So how do I do that? How do I do that? I want to remind you just that's the model of Jesus, by the way. You don't have a heartless compassion on Jesus. The most common phrase used by Jesus is this phrase, and moved with compassion. Why would I remind you of Jesus' emotion? Jesus weeping over Jerusalem, the very city that will crucify him. Jesus meeting the rich young ruler, and he's going to confront the rich young ruler. And the text says, and seeing him or looking at him, and Jesus loved him and then confronted him. Why do I, say, why do I remind you of Jesus' heart? Because Jesus quantifies and qualifies what our love is to be, which is this, you love the same way I have loved you. No, this sermon, I have to watch the time on it, but I'm going to throw this in. I, I did a wedding back in January, and my four-year-old grandson in, in, in uh, Phoenix was FaceTiming with me and asked me, what, Papa, what are you going to do this weekend, or what are you doing tomorrow? And I said, well, I'm doing a wedding. And, and he, he said, why? And I said, well, they're getting married, and and there's a couple that love each other, and they want to get married. And he goes, why? And so we start this sequence down. And, but here's the part I want you to hear that I think is from a four-year-old is profound. I said to him probably two or three times, well, they're getting married because they love each other. And he got a little exasperated at me. He was still kind about it. And he finally said, Papa, I know they love each other, but do they like each other? Because a four-year-old boy has heard his whole life he's loved, but the question that he has is, am I actually liked? There are many people, your own kids, who go, yeah, I know, Mom, you love me, but I'm not sure you like me. Yeah, I know you love me, but I'm not sure you like me. Following Christ, there's a tenderness. That question should be answered. So how does my heart have tenderness where it wouldn't have tenderness if it weren't for Jesus. How does it do that? I want to tell you stories. Bless your heart. Settle back in. Um, I'll try to finish before the uh, uh, lunch truck comes. Let's talk about why we love. How'd God wire us? I'm going to ask, what's your name, sir? Can you say it again? Thank you. The reason is I took my hearing aid out when I put this on, and I absolutely can't tell. So you could say Susie, and I wouldn't know what you're saying. But So here he is. He's, he, unfortunately, sitting in the front row. You just get to be, bless, forgive me later. Um, so he's got a mongrel, mangy dog running around his neighborhood. He, he can't stand the dog. He doesn't like the dog. The dog has mange. The dog is exactly what he does not like, and the dog is hanging around his house. Doesn't like the dog. He's been trying to get the dog to leave. He's been chunking rocks at it the last couple of days, uh, trying to get that, 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 rock, that dog to leave, but the dog won't leave. And so finally what he does, he, and again, this is my story, and I can do what I want to with it, um, finally goes in and picks up the phone and calls the animal control officer and, 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 and says, hey, I got this dog at my house. I really don't want it. It's a stray. Somebody's dropped it off. Da, 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 da. Would you come get it? And they go, absolutely, sir. I'd be happy to come get it, but got a, a truck broke down, man on vacation. It'll be a few days before we can get there, but we'll get there. 
Now, he's not been feeding the dog because if he feeds the dog, it will stay around. But he's not heartless. You can tell by looking at him. He's not heartless. And so, so what's he do with the leftover biscuits and gravy from tonight's supper? And, and he thinks, well, that starving dog out there. And he goes, there, you stupid dog. If you want those, you know, you can, you, you, you can have that. And so he gives that. Next morning, he got a phone call when he's having breakfast and the eggs got cold and, and nobody likes cold eggs. And so he, he goes, here, you dumb dog. And he takes the, the eggs out there the next morning. And for the next two or three days, he kind of feeds the dog. Now, for this story, I'm going to make it February, and, and so for February, it's, I mean, it's, that dog's under that bare lilac bush out there, and, and, and then that ice storm comes in, and, and the icicles are starting to hit, and, and he's got that lawnmower shed that has that broken bale of hay, and he goes back there, and he throws open the door and says, there, you dumb dog, if you want to get in out of the storm, well, you can at least do it, and, and sure enough, the, the dog pound gets here. I mean, the, the animal control officer gets here in three or four, five, six, seven days, but it's too late. He already caught the dog, named it Lucky, took it to the vet, and spent $397 on it. <laughs> and when it died, two years later, he cried like a baby. Whoa, 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 whoa what just played out? Because on Monday of last week, he couldn't stand the dog, and on Monday of this week, the dog is now family. What happened? Did the dog change? The answer is no. There was nothing that changed in the dog. What did change? Pretty simple. You, many of you know this principle. You're already ahead of me. Here's what changed. His behavior changed. And when his behavior changed, his heart followed. I want you to picture if I would pull two girls out of this congregation, two women, I don't care. I take my magic wand and poof, I make you sixth grade girls. And so I got two sixth grade girls right here. This sixth grade girl uh, and, and this one. I give them both gerbils. Neither one wanted a rodent, okay? But I give them gerbils, the gift you never ask for, okay? And, and so they, they, they each have a gerbil, and I give them instructions. Now, here's what you do. When you take this gerbil, I want you to feed it every day, water it every day. I want you to clean its cage every week and take it for a walk on Sundays. And so I give the instructions So what you do with these gerbils. Now, you need to know this particular sixth grade girl, she's pretty self-disciplined, and she can put routine and, and, and discipline into her life. You need to know this one's a bit more of a slob, okay? You can see why I didn't call two women out here to use it for an illustration. <laughs> Both girls have gerbils. This girl does what she's supposed to do. This girl, oh, someday she feeds the gerbil and someday she forgets and someday she waters it and someday she forgets. And, and in fact, one of the most common nightly routines is her mother turning to her at supper and going, you know, sweetheart, did, did you feed the gerbil? No, I, I didn't feed the gerbil. Did you water your gerbil? No, Mom, I forgot to water my gerbil. And she goes, I know you didn't. In fact, if it, I had to feed your gerbil again today, and I watered your gerbil again today. And, and she goes through this routine of, you know, you've got to be more responsible. And, and then she says this classic mom line, which is, sweetheart, do you have any idea how many times that gerbil would have died if I hadn't fed it? The answer is once, Mom. It would have died once. But, but that's probably not <laughs> best to put in at that point in time in the conversation. Because it's my story, and I can tell what I want to, four months into this thing, both gerbils die the same day. Crazy difference between the two girls. This girl writes in a sixth grade journal, I'm pretty shocked I shed a tear for a gerbil today. And she writes about loss and tenderness. 
this girl is so glad it's gone. I mean, she, this, this thing has been more trouble than it's worth. The only thing she wonders is, did I kill it? I mean, that's the only thing she's wondering, whether she's responsible. But she's so glad it's gone. These two girls talk, and this girl speaks in affection, and this girl goes, the natural thing that most of us would tend to think, she goes, wow, you must have got a more cuddly gerbil than I had. No, and she didn't. God made us in his image, and he wired certain things in us, but here's just a simple reality. Where your investment is, there will your heart be also. Why do mamas love their babies? You say, well, mamas always love their babies. I wish that was a true story. But the reason most mamas love their babies is pretty simple. They've carried an imagination for several years about this baby. And then when the baby is actually conceived, you end up having three or four months that you're just sick as all get out. You do all kinds of embarrassing examinations at doctors, and you spend buku amounts of money, and you go to every garage sale within 70, 75 miles getting stuff for the nursery, and you hang little dealy daubers from the ceiling, and, and you go through 23 hours of hard labor. And this little baby that you get doesn't have one trick they can actually give you to be helpful. They come out looking like a, a wrinkled Winston Churchill. And, and this baby is colicky, and you walk this baby a million miles up and down a hallway, and this baby hasn't turned one tap. There's not one talent this child has except to steal sleep and to add chaos. And that mama loves that baby. Deeply loves that baby. Even if that baby has special needs, it won't matter. I'm going to love this baby more. Why? Because God hardwired this concept. Where your investment is, there will your heart be also. Mama that doesn't love her baby, it's because that baby got in the way of an awful lot of life, and I began to drop the baby off at my mom so she will look at it, and when the baby was colicky, I didn't know what to do, and I didn't want to mess, and I didn't want to feel like I was a failure, and so I gave the baby to somebody. My, my mom, when the baby's colicky, and, and she hands the baby slightly away, and the heart takes a full step back. I owe most of my counseling money to an old woman in my first ministry. I got a couple degrees I can hang on a wall, but that's honestly not where my education came from. I was 22. I told this part of this story last week. In my very first ministry, I'm unloading the truck, and I get a family crisis that somebody has as I'm unloading the truck at my first ministry. But that just began to happen over and over again. I'm up to my eyebrows. I get family, families that won't come to the church that I'm preaching at because we have other family members who attend there, and we're estranged, and we don't talk. Uh, got into all kinds of stuff. Of We used to attend that church, but we had a falling out with so-and-so, and so we don't attend. I had marriages till the world looked level, marriages within the church, marriages in the community, where I just don't love them anymore. We fell apart. We grew apart. We're no longer the same. Um, ever since, his, he's changed. And, and so I, I'm three or four months into my first ministry as a 22-year-old kid, and, and, and the human heart doesn't love somebody Christ commands it to love. And so I'm trying to figure out how do you help people. Turning to them and saying, well, you should, that doesn't seem to help a lot. I went by and called on an old woman. Her husband had died about 
two or three months before I got there, so I never met him, but she's a grieving widow, and she's going, oh, I wish you could have met him, and he would have liked you, and you would have liked him, and she's talking about her adjustment as a widow, and she said, man, we had a great marriage, and I wouldn't trade my marriage for anybody's, and, and she's talking as a sharp, intelligent, articulate widow, and I took a gamble. It could have blown up in my face, I assure you. I said to her as we're sitting there, I'm on the couch, she's on a chair across from a coffee table. I said to her, it's obviously that you deeply loved your husband. And I'm up to my eyebrows working with, with families that don't love each other. And you loved your husband, but I have heard by way of the rumor mill, your husband would not have been easy to love. If you don't mind, can you, can you tell me how you loved him? She reached across that coffee table and took my hand. I, I can still see it and feel it almost. She told me half of this story holding my hand. She said, oh, sweetheart, I would love to tell you. I was a sweetheart at one point in time. I just want you to know that. Uh, sweetheart, I would love to tell you. And she began a story. Her story goes like this. She said, I thought I was advancing in age and going to be single, and I didn't want to be single, and I was pretty desperate. I wanted to have a marriage and a family. And by the way, warning bell, warning bell. <laughs> I mean, and she said, he came into my life, and, and he was good for me, and I was good for him, and he stopped drinking and everything, and, 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 and you begin... And she said, we fell in love. And she said, we loved each other. He loved me, and I was good for him, and, and he loved me. And, and she said, it was, it was very, very good. But she said, three, four, five, six months of that marriage was like that. And then she said, it all went south. She said, everything fell apart. She said, I, I, I went from loving him to within a year of our marriage, I, I can't stand him. I, 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 I can't stand him. I can't have children. All my dreams are gone. If I, if I have children, this, this bum is their dad. And she begins to describe just the pain and the anger. And she said, I, I'm just surviving in my own marriage. And she said, I'm back in church. By the way, I'm, I'm, I'm not asking you to do exactly what she did. I'm reporting the news. I want you to find the principle here. But she said, I'm sitting in church. I'm daydreaming about my divorce. Of, of, of how to get rid of this guy and, and how to get a, a life that I, that I can live. And she said, as I'm daydreaming during sermons, which you've never done before, um, as she said, as I'm daydreaming during that sermon, she said, I, I got a problem, though. I'm looking at the stage where I had said, till death do us part. And so she said, here I am planning my divorce, but I got that. And she said, but I couldn't stay in this marriage. But she said, I decided I wanted to clear my conscience before I divorced him. So she said, I went home one Sunday after church, and she said, I worshiped. I basically said this, God, I, I give you my life again. And God, I know that I, I've been surviving. I have not been everything I ought to be either, but I'm just trying to survive. Here's what I want to do. And she said, I made a list of 40 things that a good wife would do for a husband if she did love him. And she said, God, will you let, help me do this for the next three months? And if it doesn't change him, I'm going to divorce him with a clear conscience. She said at the end of three months, everything had changed. She said, oh, he had the same problems he always had. 
But she said, I can't explain it to you. She said, the craziest thing was, she said, I had a transition in my own heart. She said, I honestly cared for him. She said, an affection began to rise I never would have dreamed or imagined. She said, that affection wasn't pity. She said, I really did care. And she said, I began to love my husband. She said, I don't want to tell you being married to him was easy. She said, it really wasn't. I'd have to get my list out over the next two or three years. I'd have to get it out and grip my teeth and jump back in. But she said, the crazy thing was, every time I ever did, my heart came back for him. I cared. She said, it wasn't long. It was only four or five years. And she said, one morning, he broke down at the kitchen table and began to bawl. She said, he realized I was having a better marriage than he was having. And he began to bawl, and he said, how do you do it? I don't understand. How do you love me? How do you love me? I don't understand how you can do that. And she said, I began to explain to him what I do, and I explained to him about worship, and I explained to him about investment, and I explained about pouring my life in, and, and, and what happens in my own heart when I would do that. And, and he said, in his tears, he said, he just held me, and he asked, would you teach me how to do that? And she said, and he learned. She said, I wouldn't trade my marriage for anybody's in this county. She said, most women learn how to live with their husbands. I learned how to love mine. And he learned how to love me. And then she reached across that same coffee table and she took my hand and she said, sweetheart, you tell those people you're working with that their being in love doesn't have much to do on who the other person is. It has the most exclusively to do this. Do you know how to worship and do you know how to pour your life into someone? Been married to Julie for over 45 years, 45 and a half years. Why does Julie love me as an old man? Well, because I'm charismatic and funny and no. I, I'm a brown paper sack. She is married to a brown paper sack. I, I'm dull to myself, so how does she love me? And how does love grow deeper and stronger and better? She knows my three jokes that actually work and the 7,000 that don't work. She's heard them every single one of them. So t she knows how I walk across the room. She knows, how, she knows what I think before I think it. How can she still have an attachment with her heart to me? Well, let me tell you what it's not. Let's start with that one. There are three basic beliefs in the American system for how love works, three mechanical concepts for why your heart loves who it loves. Here's number one. It's 30% of all American marriages. It's a one to two year marriage. It may last 50 years, but you sucked all the life out of it in the first couple of years. This one to two to three year marriage is basically built around this idea that if you meet my needs well enough, I can't help but love you back. Loving is kind of like a magnet. You come into my life and meet my needs, I magnetically am sort of pulled to you. And so if my magnet no longer sticks, it's because you've stopped meeting my needs. You've stopped being what I needed. And so people who lean in life and don't have emotional uh, wholeness, they will find each other. Friendships work. You, 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 Guys going into business together, all kinds of things. Marriages, it works off this. My love to you is if you meet my needs well enough, then my heart is attached. And when she wakes up two years into the marriage and she's not in love with that guy, it's pretty obvious. He hadn't met my needs well enough. 
The human heart keeps score. It always keeps score. And it begins to always put, it's somebody else's fault. You've let me down more often than, than you've built me up. You've let me down. I'm the only one giving in this relationship. You're not giving enough. And so the heart keeps score, and it moves from love to hate pretty easily. Julie is not in love with me under the condition if I need, meet her needs well enough. She's married to a stumbler. That one will work as a marriage, but it's about like having a double-A battery power, it, and it will last about as long as a double-A battery. Here's what she's also not. 50% of all American marriages are this one. The 50% are built around this. I love you because... Our personalities are alike because our common interest works, because our, our personalities just click, because the chemistry's right. We just love each other. We just enjoy each other. We just, it, just, we, it, it just works. Well, that's great for a starter marriage. Here's the problem. You didn't marry a rock. You marry a rock, you got the exact same rock 40 years later. But we change. My wife married a young guy who was pretty social. We lived in Joplin. Let's jump in the car and go to Tulsa to Casa Bonita, and we'll have supper. I got off work at 8.30 or 9. Let's run down there. We can be back by midnight or 1 in the morning, and I don't have to be at work till 6 in the morning. And she married a pretty active guy. Within a few months of being married, with a few years of being married, I began to be a different guy. I liked the guy I was before, but the guy I was as a kid almost got kicked out of college for one of the finest pranks ever pulled. And that's my version of it. They called it breaking and entering. That's who Julie married. But I dealt with enough serious stuff in life and somehow just my own personality, it just began to sort of mildly change. My favorite thing is to go to my workshop. I went here, from, here last night, my neighbor uh, new neighbors moved in, and I told him, if you need any help in the workshop, last night till around 10.30 last night, I'm cutting off hollow core doors and refilling them back in because he's trying to fix a house. My favorite thing is just go to my workshop or read a book. Last thing I want to do is go to a party. My wife married that guy, but she got this guy. Dating in America reminds me of picking out pups. You go, that sounds really deep. It is. I don't have pups in my garage, but if you were to come pick out a pup, you would go, uh, no, I don't want that one, it's too, no, I don't like it. No, that one, it's ears full of or funny. No, that one, I don't like its coloring. No, that one's too big. And you go, oh, this is the one I want. This is perfect. And you take it at home. How long before it's ears full of or funny like the one you didn't want? How long before it's coloring changes like the one you didn't want? How long before... In my little community of Joplin, Missouri, there's about eight to 9,000 abandoned animals every year. You want to know why? Because when the kids were a certain size and the yard was right and the house was right and the dog was that size and, and when all the, the job and all the, we just loved this thing when it was a certain conditions. But when the conditions changed, we didn't know what to do when things changed. And so they started abandoning animals left and right. And so you got married as 22, 25, 27-year-old kids, and you look up and you go, wow, we've drifted apart. We're not the same. He's changed. I've, I've changed. He hasn't changed with me. Wow. If my wife had married me under that condition, she would have lost heart for me long ago. She's been married to four or five different guys, all of them me. 
and I've been married to three or four different women, some of them with different hair color. <laughs> now, how this actually works is pretty simple. There's a third one. The third one, the easiest way, and again, I'm sticking with marriage illustrations, but you can translate this to every other situation. I've done probably 500 weddings. I don't have any idea, somewhere around that range. I've never had one that actually verbalized like this, but this is actually what plays out. This is what should be verbalized. It's where a man stands here and he holds a girl's hand and he says in his prayer, Heavenly Father, I think I love her, but how do you know on these things? But Heavenly Father, I know I love you. And I also know that she's your daughter. You created her, you redeemed her, you put your spirit in her. I know she's a stumbler, but I know she's somebody who you love more than I could ever articulate. And Heavenly Father, I'd like to be the man who steps into her life on your behalf to write the grand big story in her life that you would like written. Not that I want written, but you want written. Would you take my life as the raw material to do in her life what you want done with one of your daughters? And God, I vow with you, my vow is not with her, some days she'll be easy to love and some days she'll be hard to love, but my vow is with you and you're unchanging. And so may I invest in her every single day and pour my life in on your behalf. Will you take my vow? And she stands here and says a similar thing. I think I love him, but how do you know on things like this? Heavenly Father, I know he's a stumbler, but he's your son. And you died for him and you redeemed him. You put your spirit and you're writing a story. Would you take my life as the raw material? And two people commit to each other and their vows are not with each other. Their, their covenant love is actually with their heavenly father. And as they turn and walk down in the aisle, God nudges an angel and says, watch this. She's going to be in love with a doofus the rest of her life. <laughs> my wife loves me not if I meet her needs well enough. She loves me not because the personalities collect and all that sort of stuff. It's because she's a worshiper whose act of worship to the Lord is invest, and the crazy thing is she's in love with a stumbling brown paper sack. And I wish for you as good a marriage as we have. You want to know why a 15-year-old boy has trouble loving his mom when he knows he should? It's because somewhere he got his feelings hurt or he got mad or his ego and he leaned back on his heels. And when you lean back on your heels and will not invest in somebody, your heart will take a full step back. And you'll wait for somebody to change. You'll wait for somebody. Well, when they, and you'll never be obedient to Christ and your heart will never fall. You say, well, doesn't my partner have anything to do with how I feel toward them? Oh, yeah, just much less than you think. Down here with your hills, it ruins every one of my illustrations. I can say this in a flat area better, but use your imagination. If I ask one of you men, and I said, hey, I'd like you to walk down to the Reardon Center down here. I think it's off to the northeast. I would say, I want you to walk down, but the wind was really hard out of the northeast. I don't want you coming back in in five or ten minutes going, hey, I tried, but it was just too much in my face. I'm going to go, you are a wimp. Bend over. You may have to fight. It may be work. Bend over and fight the wind, but you can get to the Reardon Center. On the other hand, if the wind is hard out of the southwest, walking to the Reardon Center, the wind almost propels you. 
You are the wind in your partner's face, making it hard to love you, or the wind behind their back, making it easier to love you, but whether they love you has very little to do with you. So what do you do with a sister? You stay back on your heels. Yeah, but she's hard to love. I, I, I get that. You're going to have to worship a lot. And your investment, it's not mechanical. You have to invest according to the circumstance, according to what you're allowed. Well, you, you, you can't always do what you want to do, and because they're broken people, you certainly can't do everything they want you to do. Your investment will often be firmness. Gentleness and firmness are tied together in everything Christ does. My wife has more than once in our years of marriage turned to me and said, Randy, you've forgiven me for enough things. It's easy for me to forgive you, but Randy, you're too good of a man to keep doing that. And my wife has confronted me, not because she's fed up to hear it and I can't take it anymore. No, that's basically just selfishness and a lash out. What she's actually turned into is, Randy, I'm investing in you enough not to be popular with you right now because, Randy, you need to hear this from somebody who really does love you. We were in a parking lot at a bank the first time this ever happened, and I'll never forget, Julie said, Randy, can you pull over here for a second? And we had a conversation about my behavior as it dealt with lines and frustration and work and several things coming together, and my wife loved me enough to confront me. crazy thing was it didn't separate her heart from mine. It actually drew it closer. So how do you love? You worship. You worship. Because until you begin to see other people through the same eyes that Christ sees them, you don't have anything you can do. And you follow that up by investment. Grab your Bible or look here at the screen. I want you to see something really quick. In Galatians chapter um, 5, there's a sequence. The sequence matters. The Bible's not full of little cute proverbs. It's, it's, it's logical sequences. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul says in the sixth verse, he said, you need to know that all the religious rules in the world don't matter. He summarizes that with circumcision and uncircumcision. It doesn't much matter. Circumcision and uncircumcision, they don't, they're powerless for heart transformation. You know, the only thing that counts, he says, is faith expressing itself in love. Faith in Christ expressing itself in love. He comes down to verse 13 and verse 14, and he begins to pick up this concept of love. Quote it for you, I think, but let's make sure we actually do it right. In verses 13 and 14, he said, you were called to be free. You don't have all these religious rules and things. But with your freedom, don't you be selfish and indulge the flesh. Instead, rather serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in, key, in this one commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. He comes on down and says, now you won't be able to do that out of your own flesh. Nobody here has enough willpower to just love deeply and greatly. You're going to have to take a look at verse 16. So I say, walk by the Spirit in this life of love. Verse 18, be led by the Spirit. So here's what you're going to do. You're going to decide to worship and love. Worship and love. They go together. Well, what do you get as the end product? Come down to verse 22. Now, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. What's happening? It's a verb early. It's a noun later. You do the verb to get the noun. 
The verb is the behavior. It's the choices. It's a woman who will sit down and say, I don't like what I've become either, and I haven't been faithful, and I do have a husband that's hard to love, but I will. And she uses the verb. Not so he will change. You love somebody so they will change. That's just a business deal and negotiation. All you do is keep and score. You love someone because I'm committed to Christ and I'm a Christ follower. And if they never change, it may break my heart, but I love for Christ's sake. The verb in Christ says it's followed by the noun. It's the law of sowing and reaping. That's chapter 6 in Galatians, by the way. You sow beans to reap beans. God put that very principle here. The reason Randy and Julie will love one another is your vestment causes your heart to follow. If you knew the will of God, would it make any difference to you? That's probably the haunting question we finish with. If you knew the will of God, this morning I call you to investment for the sake of the heart of the kingdom. Heavenly Father, would you bring about faithfulness in our lives? Father, don't let us deceive ourselves or kid ourselves. Father, we want to honor and love you.